Hey everyone, welcome to Black, Married, and in the Military, a podcast that explores unique experiences, challenges, and even triumphs of military life. I'm Teresa Alexis, known as the Military Bride Strategist, and I'm your host. Today I'm joined by Kiana Lane, also known as Kiki the Doula, and is the CEO of Be Fearless Doula. She is an Air Force vet and is a trained full-spectrum doula and childbirth educator on the Gulf Coast. As a doula, she provides physical, emotional, and informational support. And she's going to talk to us today about the importance of having a doula and how it works and how, you know, you hire one, just the process. So go ahead, Kiki the doula. Thank you, Teresa. Hello, everybody listening. Like she said, my name is Kiana, a.k.a. Kiki the doula. Um, I am a trained full spectrum doula. Um, and to break down what the full spectrum means, it means that I am trained to cover a woman from her fertility to pre from preconception rather, all the way to death, adoption and abortion. So I can fill in in all of these roles, um, trained to do so. I am also a trained pale advocate that is a pregnancy and infant loss specialist. Um, that basically just is exactly what it sounds like women who are going through miscarriage, um, abortion, any type of loss. I am there to support them through that um, with no judgment, just love and peace and light, because that is what women need. We have it hard enough here in this gynecological world and doulas are here to make it better, whether you are trying to have your baby or whether you have your baby and you just need some postpartum guidance. Um, you are finally pregnant and you just want to make sure that you have the best support out there for you. A doula, particularly me, um, is going to make sure that you have the birth you desire within, you know, the realm of what is going on. I'm never, ever going to promise a mother or a birthing person, rather, because I will use inclusive language. Um, but I will never tell a birthing person that everything will be perfect and you're going to get the birth that you absolutely want because we know that there are many unknowns and I don't ever want to give anybody false hope or the illusion that because I have a doula I will never have an issue there are some things that are out of our control and I always prepare my clients for a plan a a plan b and a plan c so that she at least feels or that person feels that they are in control of their birth at all times um, oftentimes medical professionals make it seem like you have no say so and that's not true. And your doula is going to be the person to help you take your voice from your throat to your mouth to your provider. You have your number one advocate, but I'm the one advocating with and for you. And that is what I need mothers to know. Most off top, definitely. This is your birth, honey. This is not your doctor's birth. This is not your nurse's birth. This is not my birth as your doula. It is you and your partner's birth. Y'all are the team captains and we are second string. And as long as we all know our positions and play them, your birth will work the way you want it to. Absolutely. And that is so important. And I, I love the foundational pieces that you touched on. But I want to know, like, how long you've been doing this and how you went from Air Force to doula. Well, I will say that before we even got Air Force, um, teenage Kiana knew that she wanted 
to be with babies. <laughs> and at the time that manifested in me wanting to be a nurse. I wanted to be a nurse, particularly a labor delivery or some kind of neonatal nurse. Like that was the goal and that was the plan. Um, however, Kian is not a good planner. So when she graduated high school, she didn't register like she should have for her classes. And she and I ended up in a paramedic program just to get the prerequisites down because the paramedic program prerequisites mirrored the nursing prerequisites. So I could just easily change programs. Um, and this was through a community college. Um, and one day I was sitting and I was looking and thinking about what's going on and what I wanted for me. And I realized that I did not want to be stuck where I was, ending up married to a military man, following him around the world. I was raised in a military town, so, and it was a Marine Corps town. So the military and the Marine Corps was huge in this particular area. There's several other bases outside of that main base. Um, there was some army floating around. You might see some Navy, but um, I was like, I'm going to go in the military and figure out what I want to do with my life from there because at least I'll have a job, place to live, some security, right? right. Didn't tell anybody <laughs> what my plan was. I knew my mother was not going to be down with it, but I knew that I was a legal adult and could do what I want. <laughs> so <laughs> I went to school that day, took my classes or whatever, and during lunch, I walked across the street from the community college to the recruiter office and I knocked on the Navy recruiter's door. So I knocked on the Navy recruiter's door and they were out for lunch and an Air Force recruiter opened his door. He said, oh, they're not there. They must not want no new truth, but we want to talk to you. And I was like, fine, I'll go talk to the Air Force. And by the time I finished my conversation with the Air Force, I had an appointment <laughs> to take my ASVAB. And that is how I ended up to the Air Force, period. It was to escape, you know, what I saw coming, which was a life of following somebody around and, you know, I already saw from firsthand perspective, that wasn't going to be, you know, the thing for me. I knew I had to have something for myself. So I put all the nursing stuff on hold because I'm like, okay, I'm going to the military. I'll be there for two years at the most because that's when they had them two year, some two-year contracts. That ain't happened. I signed a four-year contract. So I went into the military and all the while it's in the back of my head, I really want to work with babies, but now my job in the military does not have anything to do with babies and children. Um, so I'm doing my job and my job was basically to cater to pilots. <laughs> no, let me stop playing. I was, um, it was called air crew life support when I first went in and then the job title changed to air crew, air crew flight equipment when we merged with another career field. And I took care of all of the pilots life-saving um, equipment helmets, parachutes, oxygen masks, anti-gravity suits, all of that stuff, survival kits for when they eject out the plane. We also did trainings with our baby pilots because these were new pilots who were coming from flight school learning how to fly their airframes. Um, from there, I worked with fighters and um, nothing to do with children. And so it wasn't until I had my first baby and um, or my first pregnancy, we'll say, and it ended in, and I was active duty, and um, I was complaining. I was like, I'm spotting. And they told me it was normal. I sat in the emergency room for like two, three hours on base. And um, they was like, oh, everything's normal. Everything's fine. I was like, well, can I have an ultrasound? And they're like, no, you don't need it because it's too early to see anything. 
that was the first time when I look back, I realized I could have advocated for myself and, you know, but like, no, this is what I need. But also what people don't understand is that me being the active duty individual, talking to another active duty officer and I'm an enlisted, you have that natural in the back of your mind. If they say it's left, it's left. And you don't question what an officer tells you. This major told me everything was fine. I didn't need an ultrasound and he sent me back to work. And I didn't question him because one, he was a medical professional. Two, he was an officer. An officer that if I get too out of hand can ruin my life. <laughs> so, you know, you died in the back. My husband at the time was no longer active duty. He was civilian, which means he was just a dependent. And we all know that they don't listen to nothing a dependent really has to say. So um, I go to work and they drew my blood at that appointment. And they, um, I'm working, working, working. And on a Sunday morning, almost a week and a half after I went and saw them, they told me, they called, and I'll never forget this conversation. Can we speak to Airman Lane? Speaking, how can I help you? Because it's Sunday, like what you calling me for? <laughs> We're grounded, no one's flying. Like, why y'all calling me? And she says, this is so-and-so from the base I was at. Um, and when's the last time you ate? I was like, I ate 20 minutes ago. She's like, don't eat anything else. And I need you to come to the hospital. And when I get to the hospital, that's when they tell me that my HDG was low. And that basically this was a miscarriage. But when they went to do the ultrasound, all there was was free-flowing fluid in my abdomen. They don't like free-flowing. And they could not spot a fetus anywhere. So they decided to do a DNC. And I'm like, okay, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. My husband is distraught um, because they literally had a brand new airman who just got there training them on how to do an IV. And that was not the right time for that. <laughs> Next thing you know, my blood is shooting on the floor. My husband gets upset and walks out the room. And I'm just like, <laughs> what's going on? No one's explaining what's about to happen. No one's, they just said, you're going to have a DNC because we don't see where everything is. We got to make sure everything is out. They didn't sit and say, we're going to have to sedate you. You know, we're going to do this. We're going to open your, dilate your cervix, open your cervix, scrape out the remainder of pregnancy. And from there, you know, you could try again in six weeks. Not, nobody explained anything. They were just, we're going to do a DNC. And then they do this DNC. They put me under, do the DNC. I wake up to them saying to my husband, um, we didn't see the pregnancy in the uterus. So that means it was ectopic. So we're going to give her a shot of methotrexate. First of all, methotrexate is a drug they give to cancer patients. So you're giving me a drug um, that I didn't agree to. And before I could even lodge an injection, because keep in mind, I'm just waking up from sedation. Two shiny suit men gloved up, completely covered, take a needle in each, each of them had a needle and shot me in both hips before I could even say no. And it was like, you're going to be on quarters. Um, for those of you listening who do not know what quarters is, quarters is basically a sick leave where you go to your quarters, your home or your dorm or wherever, and you're not to leave there until the time period specified is over. So basically when you're on quarters, you're quarantining basically. Mm -hmm. is what it is and I was on quarters for seven days and it was the worst experience I had 
a bad infection afterwards. I had this worst bleeding ever in life. And this is when I look back in my doula mind. I'm like, I need a doula. I need a doula because a doula would have broke this down. Like I break it down to my client. My client had a miscarriage and I broke down the entire process to her because I needed her to, so she could give what I love, informed consent. But let's go back into what we were talking about. Um, I know it's on tangents, honey. I know it's on tangents. Um, I just wanted to interject right there and say mm-hmm. that, whoo, Lord, the, the story you just shared, that is so, so real life. And I feel like for Black women, it's, it's worse for us because for some reason, they just think we can take all this pain. I mean, because this is Black married and in the military. They think we can just take all this pain and we'll be fine. And if we complain about something, it's like, ah, it ain't that bad. It is that bad. It is that bad. You know, and it's really that painful. And oh, I I just know how it was for me losing my babies. He, uh, the doctor, some lieutenant commander, because I was on the Navy uh, at the Navy hospital, telling me, "Oh, well, I can't give you thirty days." I'm like, "You can do whatever you want. You're like an officer. What do you mean you can't give? Only giving me like right." Right. The commander couldn't give you 30 days. The commander. You're in charge of all this. Like, I'm crazy and don't know. (laughs) You know, and he just didn't want to give it to me. And I'd rather him say that than to lie Mm -hmm. about it, you know. But saying he can't give me this. And my it was my master sergeant, because my husband was still trying to get from California. You know, it was my master sergeant that was like, oh, this ain't gonna fly. Black man. He was like, oh, this ain't going to be it. He was like, tell him to give you 30 days. And they never granted it. But my command gave me an extra week because that's all they could give me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> y'all can't see my air quotes, you know, and I, I had to leave. But it's like, OK, so y'all can't give me PTAD. Y'all can't give me the convalescent when y'all know this is what I'm dealing with. And two babies that I'm, mm-hmm. you know, that are still born kind of thing. You know, just, so, they don't care because it affects their what you are valuable to them when you're there. They can care less about what's going on in your personal life. And I recognize that really clearly, very clearly, because y'all didn't care about me. I mean, my first shirt was like, oh, when I got pregnant after that, because I got pregnant four months after with my now 15 year old. Um, when they said, well, she can't go on the deployment because she's pregnant. And he, being ignorant, was like, well, wasn't she just pregnant six months ago? I was like, I was pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Was pregnant. And that was four months ago, not six. This is a new pregnancy. The other pregnancy was was not to be. Like, they just say, the girl, they sent me TDY five months pregnant. And when yeah. I said, I don't think I need to do that, they said, oh, we called, girl, get this. We called the, um, your doctor and they said that as long as it wasn't X, Y, Z, we could send you. They put me on a bus to Miami from Fort Walton Beach, Florida, North Florida to South Florida on a bus. You put a pregnant person on a bus with no real bathroom. Like, thankfully, I got a, seat, a bus with like with the chill people because we had maintenance people with us. Now, I'm not sure if your listeners are aware of how maintenance people rock, but they're loud. They're disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> they're 
no matter what type of maintenance people, whether it's trucks or planes, they are, they are the same. They are the same. And I, I was like, okay, we have to stop because I'm not peeing in no Greyhound bathroom. Like y'all got me messed up. Like, so I had to pee when we stopped and get food and hope the bus didn't leave me, but y'all literally can't leave me. You know, that'd be a problem for the military. Um, you know, I'm like, we're stopping, what, two, three times on this trip from Fort Walton Beach to Miami, from North Florida to South Florida. <laughs> I was so done. And what was really made me done was the fact that they were like, oh, you're due November? Well, you know, operation, I'm not going to say the operation for obvious reasons. Um, operation so-and-so is coming up in March, and it's your turn to go. So y'all tell me that y'all want me to leave for six months to a year to go to the desert? I'm like, yeah, I think I might be getting out. <laughs> crazy. It'd be, it'd be truly crazy. Like I told my command and I was, I was an E3 at this time and I was newly married and this is um, like newly married, like new, new. Mm -hmm. And so I told them, you know, it probably was like two months Maybe, no, it was like a month or so. And I, I told them I just wasn't feeling good. And I was, I said, I may be pregnant, but it's too early to tell. And so what you think they thought about? It? They was like, oh, well, we need to hurry up and put her on this little exercise so she can go ahead and go so that if she is pregnant, when she come back, she'll be all good. I'm like, what? what? Why does that logic? That's not even logic. But why does that make sense in your mind? Like, I'd rather stand 24 hour watch right here than go all the way somewhere. And guess what? When I got there, guess what I found out? I was pregnant. So I couldn't do the thing that they were requiring me to do. So now I look like trash because I told y'all and y'all sent me anyway. It's like mm -hmm. y'all set us up for failure to look like straight up garbage when you know we've communicated. And then when you come back to your command, they try to give you like a counseling time about you didn't tell them. I was like, so this is what I learned early. That little green record book. I don't know if y'all had those too, but I would keep a journal of every conversation who was there, what time it was, what day, what everybody had on, you know, <laughs> what they were looking like, just all kinds of stuff because of that, because they yeah. tried to counsel me like seriously and ruin my career early on. So I wouldn't get NCL to say that I, I didn't communicate that to my command. It's like, it's like, called CYA, cover yo, because. Yeah. I read receipts, everybody. Like, oh, you didn't say that. I said, oh, well, on this day at this time, I sent you this email that you read. Like, don't don't play me. Don't play me, bruh, because I've been played. Yeah. I have absolutely no no problem telling people that I am the military. If, if they would have not been the way they were, I probably would have still been in until, you know, my retirement. Right. I probably wouldn't hit that 20. And to be honest, I wouldn't fire off that 20 anyway. However, um, the military had no longer fit my needs in life because I knew that I needed to be doing something else. And I knew that something else had to do with children and babies. However, in the midst of me becoming Kiki Adula, I became key under the autism month. And that is a whole breed of different in and of itself. And so... And let me backtrack, because you said something that just registered to me. Why do they feel like we take all this pain? 
You guys are not bipolar, I promise you. I do scatter a lot. Uh, and you can't see the, our, our facial interactions, but I am very facially vocal, okay? Um, this goes back to slavery. When, you know, the father of modern gynecology, I will not say that nasty man's name here, um, was taking slaves from plantations and practicing C-sections, all types of gynecological procedures on slave women because slaves can take it. Look what we have them doing here every day. You know, they get pregnant. They have these babies in the field. They keep working. You know, they're obviously tough. Look at their skin. They're able to tolerate the sun. We get burned. They sit here thriving and surviving. You know, on a little bit of scraps, we give them to thrive and survive on. And so they've taken these women, um, Dr. Dr. Sims, for y'all who, who don't know, um, Dr. Sims, the devil, um, was opening women up pulling out uteruses, pulling out ovaries. And it got so bad because he had anesthesia to give these women, but he refused to give it to them because when he had white women to come to him with issues, he saved the good stuff for them. You know, he didn't practice all, all these slaves. So now he can just do the procedure on them and give them the sedation they need to not feel it. It was so bad that other Caucasian physicians would refuse to work with Dr. Sims because of his treatment of the slaves was so poor and so abhorrent. So that is why, and that covers into today. You know, there it's a nursing book episode recently that, you know, our skin is tougher. So, you know, you have to jab us a little bit harder. Or, you know, that when women come to the hospital, um, they're drug seeking. Black people are drug seeking already. You know, um, if we say our pain is a 10, they were right that our pain is a four. This happened to me a couple of months ago at the VA hospital of all places. My son was playing. My nails are, y'all can't see my nails, but they are pointy because I don't have any clients for another month. And so my nails were longer than this. And my son snatched the shirt out my hand. We were playing. He snatched it and I took my whole fingernail. Natural and fake nail. About all. I go to the VA hospital and she, she said, how's your pain? I said, it's about an eight, because it hurt. You know, he just snatched my nail off. Um, when I look at my paperwork, she wrote down that my pain was a four. That's not what I told you. Now, would they do it to a Caucasian person? Probably not, because they take them for their word. And it's kind of sad that we have to even wonder that, because you should just believe what I just told you. Yes, like, and I can definitely attest to that because I went there because of my knee and like three people came in and asked me the same exact thing I told the first person. And I was like, it still hurts. It's still painful. I still need a brace. I ain't leaving here until y'all give me one. Like, and then they're trying to tell me, oh, well, you probably sprained it. It's not a sprain. (laughs) Like it's, it's been shattered. It's I'm not. Okay, I barely could walk in here. Seriously? So I got to be crawling in here? Like, what you mean? My husband had to help me get in there. Hey child, I had an asthma attack while I lived in New Jersey, and I took an Uber to the hospital to save my husband to not have to come with me because our youngest is, like I said, he's, he's on the spectrum. He's autistic. And I'm walking from the car to the door, barely can breathe. And this girl's going to ask me, oh, what's the problem, ma'am? I'm like, I can't breathe. What's your social? You want me to spit out nine numbers and I can barely sip in the air? It was so bad that the nurse came from behind the triage. She said, I hear you try. I can hear you. 
<laughs> she said, I can hear you. But you over here trying to ask for my social. Like, is, is, is my insurance really that important? Y'all can't wait till I get some oxygen? Like, but I, I expect it because I'm a black woman. And unfortunately, a crackhead white woman can come into a doctor's or a hospital and get way better care than a black woman with a master's degree. So when we ask why doctors treat us like, you know, our pain don't matter or why our pain is less than, that's because it's pre, it's, it's ingrained. It was pre-programmed because especially in gynecology, you know, they're trained surgeons. So they're going to be trained on the stuff that came from Dr. Sims research on these black slaves. And they're going to go into it with the mentality that, okay, we, she, she said she's in pain. She probably just wants some drugs. Let's just, you know, monitor her pain. No, I am in pain. I think I'm dying. Can y'all do something about it? Like, (laughs) it's not that serious that you treat me differently that you treat this woman or you come in and you assume that because I'm pregnant and you know, I have Medicaid that you could treat me some kind of way. No, I deserve whatever care I deserve. I deserve the care that you would give this woman on insurance. I deserve this care. You would give a wealthy woman who walked up in here and that doesn't happen. People are judged based on how they look. You know, they are judged Lighter skinned women are not being as discriminated against as more darker skinned women. And that's because you know, people are doing. You know, I know. <laughs> yes. You know, I know. You know, it, it's, it's the internal paper bag test in their head. They're looking at them. And I guess they're looking at the lighter you are, the less threat you are. But if we see Dante Wright in the news today, you know, light bright as ever. And he is no longer with us. You know, so it's not, it's not, it, it, it's definitely a black man, black woman difference in it. Because they would look at that, that woman who was the same complexion as him differently in the medical field would cater a little more to her because she's fairer skinned than you and I, which if you guys don't know, we are both deeply melanated queens over here. We're not going to get the better treatment. And that's just as sad as it is. And with a recent situation that happened to me that we'll get into in a little bit, I had to ask the question, if I was a white woman, would I have been done like that? Would, and would that have happened? Would this situation have occurred if I had been a white woman versus this beautiful chocolate queen that y'all be trying to get to this tone to? Like, would I have been treated differently? And like, seriously, so when the doula thing came in in 2000, I had been doulaing all along and didn't know it. Friends get pregnant. I'm counseling them. I'm helping them. I'm coaching them. I'm, I'm there in the room with them. Like I had been doing this, but as officially doing it was 2018. Um, when I trained through BADT, Birthing Advocacy Doula Training. Um, and I should be certified by now, but life is <laughs> But we all know doulas are not a certified field. You do not have to be certified to be a doula, but certification does help. My little PSA there. Um, <laughs> but, and as a birth worker, I will say, that the fact that we are treated so poorly, so poorly, it, 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 it breaks my heart every time I look and I see another young mother gone on and now this father has to raise his child as a single father or this father has lost both mother and child and now he's mourning the loss of his family because we are treated so poorly, so, so poorly. Like, Shaija Washington should be here, but she wasn't listened to. Like, 
what is going on with why? And, and, and people are like, oh, this doesn't ha- this happens to everyone. Everybody has pregnancy loss. Yes, there are pregnancy loss and there are issues, but you see that there's a demographic of women who this is happening to more so than not. If you know that the black community, which you know, I, I believe a whole different thing, but if you think the black community is prone to high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and this woman comes into the into the obstetrician's office and complains that they are swelling and they have a headache, why wouldn't you look at pregnancy hypertension or preeclampsia? I have a client that I just serviced last July whose doctor was going to ignore her high blood pressure. She was 19, had had her baby discharged her, and she's home with a diastolic of over 100. And the doctor said to me, let's see how she does. Let's see how she does through the weekend. Ain't nobody got time for that. Nobody has time to wait. And it, you know, it infuriates me. It does. It just does. Because when I had my last kid, I lost a lot of blood. Now, I will say, just to put this out there, not all doctors are bad. We're not saying that. There not are all doctors are bad. Doctors. There are some stellar doctors who are just up yes, there. They, are. Look, they don't care, care what color you are. They don't care what no, background you are. They're there no, to do job. Nothing. Yeah, and yes. they, they care about you and your well-being. They care about their job. They're they're fully invested. Those yes. people, I can rock with them. So We're not no, talking about them people. Yeah, we ain't talking about them. So I was having my, my last kid, and so there was two men in there. They were residents, and they, for some reason, couldn't figure out how to get a baby out. I'm like, what is y'all doing? Ain't that your job? You know, it's my thing. And so... I'll never forget her. I will not say her name, you know, because I didn't get permission to do that. But I'll never forget how she just barged in there. White woman, blonde hair. And like basically elbowed them out the way. I got this and got that baby out, you know, and I was bleeding uncontrollably. And she was like snapping, you know, and and obviously I don't I wasn't coherent for this. But I remember my husband, my uh, doula, because I did have one for this one. And then my birth photographer was all telling me what was happening. And I was like, well, thank you all for advocating for me because it was the three of them because I'm like incoherent, you know. And so she came in there, got that baby out. You know, I was bleeding uncontrollably and she got everything taken care of to include the baby. But when she left, you know, obviously when I came to myself, I was I was very, very weak. Tell me why the doctor was like, do you want to hold your baby? And I was like, of course I do. You know, I want to hold her. But I was saying, hey, you can't leave me in here because I'm still a little weak. I don't want to drop this baby. Why, why did he leave? Left me holding the baby and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm praying. Look, cause my husband had stepped out for a second and the doula and the photographer by that time was gone. And I was like, Lord, please let somebody come in here. Please listen. Cause I felt like I was about to pass out and I'm holding this big old baby. <laughs> cause it felt, mm. baby felt heavy. Cause you know, I'm feeling weak. Cause I lost so much blood. Yeah. You know? And then it was like, finally somebody walked in and I was like, can you please get this baby? Cause I'm about to pass out you know, or I feel like I'm about to pass out. And they finally got her, but it w- it felt like hours went by, you know, and, and then, the, you know, they put the baby, like put the thing up. So my baby, he was like, your baby won't roll out. I don't care. Just put it up. Cause I asked you to, when my husband finally came in there, I finally told him everything. And then he was like, I'll be right back. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say no, but I'm like too weak to say no, but I'll just let, let him go and handle it. And he was able to advocate on my behalf. And we didn't have any problems after that. But <laughs> just the fact that that happened is just like, yes. do y'all not think, you know? No, they don't. Think? 
They don't think it's not that they don't, they don't think and they don't care. First of all, first of all, you know, if y'all don't know what you're doing, then you need to get someone who does. Like, don't sit here figuring it out. Hey, friends, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, then you'll love the one and only official military marriage membership called Military Marriage Matters University, also known as 3MU. The first of its kind for military marriages. You can get the tools, tips, resources, practical strategies, and support to experience a phenomenal marriage. Military marriages are unique. Therefore, it requires unique training, education, and resources from someone who gets you and has worn the uniform and boots. This is an intentional group of military wives from all walks of life coming together for the common goal of having that phenomenal marriage. This is a specific program that is meant to educate, empower, and inspire military marriages. This is like a marriage school for military marriages that will give you the support you need. If you want to find out more about this membership or how to work with me further, go to bit.ly slash TA underscore WWM. That's bit, B-I-T dot Lee, L-Y slash TA underscore WWM. My last baby, my youngest, um, when he was delivered, legs still in the stirrups, nurse was like this. She's like, oh, she's still hemorrhaging? Hmm, second nurse, legs still in the stirrups. Oh, she's still bleeding, huh? And then it was like, ma'am, I hate to do this to you. They didn't ask my permission. That's, that's the thing. We hate to do this to you. And that's before she could tell me what they were going to do. She is manually massaging my uterus from my stomach. She almost got punched in the throat because that stuff hurt worse than the baby. Um, and I had a natural childbirth. Well, I'm sorry. Let me not put that term out there. I had an unmedicated birth. So because natural birth gets equated with unmedicated. And that's not what that is. <laughs> um, natural birth is natural birth. Medicated birth unmedicated birth is birth your baby here um but they really go ahead real quick and explain the difference so people get it okay so when most people say a natural birth they're referring to i had the you know baby came out my vagina and that's a natural birth but i had an epidural or i didn't have an epidural um some people think that that's not that's what natural birth is natural birth is birth as nature intended it no intervention. So that means no induction, um, no medication. You went into labor on your own. Your body did everything by itself and you delivered your baby. Fans, medicine, no epidural, no nothing. Everything from start to finish happened naturally on its own. Um, unmedicated birth is maybe you, unmedicated birth usually means you had no medicines, period, and it was a vaginal birth, or maybe you had to be induced and then your baby was born but they're not considering the induction medicine, Pitocin, Cytotec, um, Folibub, um, any of those methods, they're not considering that a medication during your birth. Only a pain medication is what they're talking about when they're saying medical, medicine, medicated and unmedicated. Medicated birth is just that, girl, you had an epidural, you had some Demerols, you got all the drugs because you ain't want to feel crap. Um, so I had an unmedicated childbirth because I was put on Pitocin and that was the worst mistake of my life but it wasn't something I did the devil 
<laughs> yes, I didn't even consent to it. It was just more so, and it's the same thing that happens today. Oh, you come into the hospital. Oh, we're gonna keep you. We're gonna put you on pertussin, and you're on labor. None of this you asked my permission for. You just dictated to me what you wanted to do. Now, had I had the knowledge when I had my first two kids, no, we're not doing this because my body's already doing the work. We just need to let my body do what it's going to do. That's not what was allowed to happen. So I've had Pitocin and Pitocin is the devil because them contractions hurt by themselves on their own. But now with Pitocin, it's because Pitocin is forcing your body to do what it was not prepared to do. And so instead of your body easing into the contraction because the oxytocin is doing its job, you have fake synthetic enhancing your contraction from a one to a 10. So now you're suffering for no reason. And this is where we get into the cascade of intervention. And we're just going to jump right into it, honey, because <laughs> we getting into it. The cascade of interventions is what usually happens when mothers say that, oh, my induction failed and I ended up with a C-section or they were inducing me and my baby's heart rate dips. There's always a reason. Your baby's not tolerating the labor. Well, that's because you gave me Pitocin and you are artificially making my body do something that it was not prepared to do. You know, if my body was ready to go into labor, I would have went in to labor. Now, there are those women who are told that their bodies would never go into labor on their own. I have never seen a woman who was pregnant forever. We are not elephants. We are going to have that baby. You know, um, women are also scared into being told that if you go past 39, 40 weeks, your baby could die in the womb. You can go up to 42 weeks safely with, you know, a doctor who is more naturally minded and monitors you. But also you yourself can tell your physician, hey, um, as long as I am healthy and as long as my baby is healthy in the womb, we're going to wait on baby to tell us when baby is ready. I've had people come to me saying that their doctor scheduled an induction because they ain't going on vacation. I've had people tell me doctors scheduled their induction because they had family coming into town for a holiday and they wanted to be at home rather than at the hospital waiting on patients to have babies. Doctors are scheduling people around their schedule. That's not how birth needs to be. And so we'll say Sally June is 39 weeks pregnant and the labor is not in sight and she is zero dilated, not a face, nothing. Doctor says, you know what, Sally, we're going to go ahead and induce you tomorrow. So because I see you're tired. Your body's bothering you, huh? Your back hurts. Your feet are starting to swell. Go ahead and baby out. Now Sally June is at the hospital. She hasn't eaten because the doctor told her not to eat after midnight. So now she's starving herself, deprived of energy because you need food to fuel you. Fuel equals energy. So now you're going to be tired during your labor. Sally does not have a doula. Let's keep that in mind. Um, Sally's at the hospital and they hook her up to an IV and they do a Foley bulb. Foley bulb fails. Now they're doing Pitocin. So now she's starting to feel contractions. Sally wants to go as natural as possible. However, Sally was not remembering that Pitocin contractions are kicking your... So now Sally is struggling. Sally needs another intervention. So now Sally needs an epidural. But the problem is Sally's only... Her body's only dilated to two, three, four centimeters. She's not in active labor yet. And we all know that, or we don't know, if you get an epidural before you're in active labor, the epidural can slow your process. 
Now, in some cases, some people need an epidural, not need an epidural, but they choose an epidural. Usually the epidural will relax their bodies enough so that they can dilate. How, um, epidurals are the most overused drug in gynecology. Epidurals, if you do your research, were never meant for labor and delivery in the first place. Um, Pitocin, also the most overused drug in gynecology in the U.S. Let me state that, in the U.S. Because <laughs> other countries ain't doing it. Um, and they're not having the birth outcomes we're having. We're supposed to be this, this mega country of the world, but all these other countries are doing better than us and our birth rates are looking like third world country. But I digress. Um, so now Saudi's at begging for an epidural and she's only four centimeters. She gets her epidural and now her labor is slowly crawling to a halt. Now Sally's sitting there contractions are coming. She's not feeling them, but they're not doing anything because she slowed. So they're going to turn up the Pitocin. <laughs> turn it up. So we get Sally back into a regular labor pattern. So they're going to turn up the Pitocin to counteract the epidural. But then Sally's starting to feel contractions. Now she's hitting that red button to give her more epidural. So now we're sitting here and they're like, you know what, Sally? We're going to break your water. There's another intervention. Now Sally's sitting here because now her water's been now a doctor come at any time and tell her due to risk of infection we want to go ahead and get you delivered so they're letting labor 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 sally seven eight centimeters and sally is stuck mm-hmm. ordinarily this is where a doula would come in help sally with positioning because ideally she wouldn't have an epidural so get baby in position so that she can however sally has an epidural she's stuck in the bed and she did not book her doula so now they're coming in. It's been some time now, and you have not changed. If you don't change in the next two, we're going to have to do a C-section. No one in this whole scenario that you heard me say asked Sally what Sally wanted to do. They dictated to Sally, and they did not even give her informed consent on these things that they did to her because had she had informed consent, she would have known that this was a possibility. So now Sally is on the clock. She's stressed that she's upset. Sally ends up in the OR with, an epi- with, with a C-section. Now Sally has a bad birth experience. She has to, you know, process that. You know, Sally now has this baby. And now we have to go into postpartum care. And Sally is not equipped. So no one spoke to Sally about postpartum depression, postpartum nutrition. You know, that sometimes the feelings that she's feeling is normal. So Sally's thinking she's going nuts. No one's, nobody's coming into her room to asking her about, you know, how do you want to feed your baby? They automatically give Sally bottles. When Sally wants to breastfeed, Sally is not encouraged or she is not given proper guidance because the lactation consultant never showed up. These are actual things, you guys, that sound far-fetched, but no lie, no joke happen every single day as a matter of fact i had a call yesterday with somebody their loved one this same scenario happened to her yesterday all of this happened and she ended up with a beautiful baby boy but she ended up in a c-section because that was what happened to her i outlined exactly what happened to that girl and i didn't say her name because i didn't have permission and also this was given to me by a friend who asked my advice as a doula, what should she do? 
at that point in time, I already knew that they were heading to the OR because they had gave her all the time that they wanted to give her. You see what I'm saying? So as a doula, I would advise you, say Teresa is pregnant. Not wishing pregnancy on you if you don't want it, girl. Um, <laughs> but Teresa and her husband are expecting and they hire me as their doula. We're going to go over several things. First of all, she's going to get a good morning, beautiful text from me at least once a week. You know, throw some of that energy up in there. Um, we're going to go out to lunch. We're going to chit chat. We're going to talk about her expectations. And then I'm going to help her manage her expectations. Teresa, if they're telling you that they want you to come in for an induction, how do you feel about that induction? Did you express your feelings of induction to your doctor? Did your doctor tell you in what manner he wants to induce you and what reason? We have a community, we have communication. Oh, he didn't? Well, Teresa, I would like you to speak to your doctor because it's not my job to speak for you. My job is to empower you to use your voice. Now, when I have to use my voice, honey, it's a problem because that means your voice is being ignored and I need to bring it back to center. The queen is speaking to y'all. <laughs> like, please listen to what she's telling you. We're going to talk and we're, I'm going to encourage you, just like I told a client the other day. You have, she has an appointment on Friday. I said, I would like for you to talk to your doctor about a lotus birth or extended delayed cord clamping. I want you to be prepared for her to say X, Y, and Z to you, but we have information that counteracts that. And if that's what you want, I want you to yourself and tell her that's what you want. And if she's not receptive, then I'm here. We got you. So Teresa would advocate for herself and we would do an induction until Teresa felt comfortable. I would tell Teresa, I don't, as long as you and baby are fine, I would say, let's hold out a little longer and see what baby does. Baby might just be comfy up in that, that good uterus. You know, you're giving good food. You know, it's warm in there. You know, they ain't got to worry about a thing. <laughs> let them chill, let them rock. I mean, if we're really trying to get baby out, then there are natural ways we can do that. I.e., how you got baby in there is how you can get baby out. Sex is wonderful for, you know, for helping babies come earthside because semen contains prostaglandin. Prostaglandin softens your cervix. So sex is wonderful, you know, walks, activity that engages you to get, you know, sitting on your yoga ball and rocking helps to get baby's head right where you need it to be. You know, a peanut ball during your labor when you're laying down can help you, you know, keep your legs open, keeps the cervix and everything open. Um, we would never be laboring in the bed. That would be a oh, no, no. We would be up, we'd be moving, we, we, we're squatting. And this is the main reason why I like to labor at home with my mamas. We labor at home as long as we possibly can. And then when she tells me she's ready to go, that's when we go. But oftentimes they're rushed. I actually had a home birth last year that, oh my goodness, uh, it, it, the home birth was beautiful. It was beautiful and has, it changed my perspective of birth period. Because we didn't make it to the hospital. And I, and I delivered that baby. And doulas are not medical professionals. They are not supposed to be delivering your baby. Do not choose a doula over a midwife if you're having a home birth. Unless you're intending to go unassisted. And even then, your doula is not liable for your birth outcome. Okay. Um, <laughs> just to give that disclaimer. Because I would never have delivered her baby unless if there was no other option. We were stuck. <laughs> She could not move. That baby's head was right there. So it's either let the baby fall on the floor or catch the baby. But in that, 
birthed a whole new type of doula because I saw things so differently. I'm like, I see what our ancestors see. They were doing this. Them granny midwives were doing this for the man, you know, stuck his foot in our business and started regulating how we do things in our communities. Um, granny midwives were delivering babies. Babies were, the, it was the true village. You know, how everybody says it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to raise a family. And you had everybody from the woodworker to the person who gathered food to the person who delivered the babies, the granny midwives, and they passed their knowledge on to the next generation. And then we lost that when people, I was about to say colonizers, but I'm being nice today. <laughs> but when, you know, the man said, oh, let's see what's going on in these communities because they're having, you know, slightly better outcomes. And they started monitoring and then they felt the need to regulate us. Like we, the Black community needed to be regulated. You know, midwifery is us. We are midwifery. Like we were doing this. And I truly believe that we should go back to the ways of what our ancestors were doing and add in our today's knowledge and medicines and technologies to it in our own little villages <laughs> like we need one thing I wanted to add is I remember meeting a lady and um she was a black lady and she we were talking about just doctors and different stuff and I, I think my last baby was still fairly young so we were talking about just our experiences and our choice of doctors and I said for me if I can get a black doctor I'm great you know and I've had amazing white doctors and doctors of other races, but for me, that's just my preference. And I was like, and if I get a black midwife, oh, golden. And I had one with my last two girls, you know, and it was great. But the lady that I was talking to, she was like, well, I always get a man because it's unnatural for a woman to touch me. I said, huh so you know right that's why I was like huh and so I had to understand what she was talking about and I was like well I kind of see where you're going but when it comes to childbirth and all of that who was delivering the babies it sure wasn't the men I said no they weren't even allowed in the rooms until they weren't allowed in the rooms until what the 60s or 70s or something like that but I was like that's what they were doing that's their whole expertise that's why it's so natural for when there's a woman pregnant or a woman you know who's in need like that that their response is so nurturing I was like so yeah I'm gonna get a woman to be helping me you know rubbing my back and you know all of that stuff to help me get ready to deliver this baby I'm not getting the man unless it's my husband and then he's probably being trained by that woman that's right there so he know what to do and and I do that with my clients partners I train them in the event that something happens and I get to the hospital and their roles on doulas change you're not in the lurch you're aware of what to do I'll be on the video chat and we'll chat it out but, you know, I do train my, fa- my fathers because they need, and that gives them the attention because oftentimes the attention is squarely on mom and baby and nothing is given to dad. But with her, there's not some kind of lesbian relationship, honey. She's not looking at your vagina in a longing way. She's looking at your vagina to see, okay, we're, baby's here. Let's make sure we have less trauma to your badge as possible. You know, tearing is not the best, the most comfortable thing, especially if you get a fourth degree tear that's from your vagina to your anus. That ain't cute. 
So she ain't looking at you. So I think that what she's coming in from is that is that ingrainedness that men know more and can do better than a woman because they're a man. It's the education. Believe that at all? I, I don't believe that at or, all. You know, because you can't tell me a man can't tell me how to labor and how to be forth when you've never ever in your life will ever in your life do, unless you know. You'll never be able to push out no baby. You'll never be able to do it. So you'll never know what it feels like to have your insides feel like they're going to just rip apart. Or the best way I describe it to men is that you've all eaten some bad Chinese food, some bad something. Imagine it hurts so bad that you're stripped bucket naked on your toilet, bent over, praying and asking God, what did you eat? And could he please deliver you from this madness? Mm-hmm. Now take that right. and magnify it for birth. <laughs> that is what contractions feel like. You just feel in the early labor stuff. But that bad fat Chinese food is going to pass. Labor can last for days, <laughs> days. And a man will never ever understand just like there are men out there who believe, or women rather, out there who that believe breastfeeding is unnatural. That blows my mind. Like, <laughs> that I blows my mind. Especially from a woman, I was told this, and I, my friend's mother-in-law um, said that she doesn't agree with breastfeeding, and my friend breastfeeds all of her babies. Um, all of the babies. And, you know, um, this is her first grandbaby from my, my friend and her husband. Um, so she breastfed her free three previous children from her previous marriage and grandma said something smart about breastfeeding. She's like, Oh, breastfeeding. She's like, yeah, breastfeeding. Would you just pump out the milk and put it in a bottle? Like why does the baby have to be on the actual breast? That's for men. No. What? <laughs> that's, that's- it look, my zoom, my zoom sit there and pause and it was her calling. <laughs> 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 you heard me talking about her um yeah, but insane that's yes but like, I do know a lot of people who believe that like I remember my sister so by the time she had her first and only kid you know I was on my second well technically my fourth because I, I briefly we have angels her. yeah and so she was talking about, oh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't breastfeed because it's just so unnatural. And she said, she said, literally, I felt like Chester Molester. And I was like, what, girl? How? I would just be like, something is wrong here. There's something is wrong here. Because what I said to my friend was, I said, please ask your mother-in-law because your mother-in-law is old. How did she get her milk? Because I guarantee you she was on somebody's titty. <laughs> I guarantee it. Now, I'm, so, I'm sorry, you guys. I'm, I'm keeping, I'm trying to dial back the language, okay? I'm trying to be professional for you guys. Um, but she was breastfed, hands down breastfed, because they didn't have bottles back in that day. You were or breastfed pumps. or pumps. And like for your sister, I would tell her, I was like, are you aware of the magical powers of your breast milk? Your baby could have a cold and latch onto your breast and your breast will send a signal to your milk so that you get the milk that you need to heal. Your evening milk has natural melatonin in it so your baby can sleep. Like, your breast milk can probably cure the you-know-what. <laughs> yeah. The panorama. Like, you know, just give everybody... Yes, yeah. just put some breast milk on it. I'm pretty sure the breast milk would have took care of all of this. 
which unnatural is it. And I don't want to offend anybody who chooses to formula feed their babies. I really do not. Um, I don't want to shame anybody. My baby was formula fed. I nursed the baby and another baby was partially breastfed. And then we had to go to formula because now we know he's autistic. It was a sensory thing. But when you know better, you do better. And for parents who choose formula over breast milk because they want perky boobs, they don't want their boobs to sag. Um, gravity's going to hit your boobs anyway, honey. They're going to sag one day regardless. These are reasons that we hear for people not breastfeeding. Um, they don't want saggy titties. Um, they don't want their husbands or boyfriends to be jealous of the baby because the baby's on there and the husband can't get none, whatever. Um, you know, oh, my mama said that that's nasty and we just need to pump and put it in a bottle. Um, but our ancestors were nursing the masses babies because they knew the power of breast milk. Right. They know the power of breast milk. So you would give your child something less superior because like I said, I don't want to offend anybody. Breast milk is superior. <laughs> it's superior. It's made specifically for your baby. No one else's baby, your baby. Formula is generic. First of all, it has dairy in it. And I don't have, I did not birth a baby cow. I do not birth calves. I birth humans. And the fact that you rather give your baby cow milk for baby cows versus human milk for you blows my mind. And I know that some women formula feed their baby because they have to. I had a client who could not nurse her baby because her postpartum depression was so bad. And I encouraged her formula journey. They your bottles appropriately. We don't believe in that bull knockout bottle mess. I, I'll call Dyson's on you for a knockout bottle, to be very honest. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if you know what a knockout bottle is. It's a bottle with formula, baby food, cereal, bitter drill, or some kind of cough syrup in some cases, shaken up and given to a baby so that they sleep through the night. Why y'all doing this to your children? It's not that serious. And this is because we have a lot of misinformation in not only the Black community, but in all communities, but especially our community on birthing babies, our bodies. A lot of women don't even know how the baby got in there. They can't accurately name anything down there. Everything below your belly button is your vagina. That's not true. That is not true. The vagina is that one tunnel a penis went in and the baby came out. That is your vagina. <laughs> like everything else has a name mons pubis vulva clitoral hood clitoris like all of that is not a vagina <laughs> like we don't have the education that's because our parents didn't get it their parents didn't get it their grandparents and so on we were ill-educated didn't think we were worth the education to be honest we'll be educating black people for they do that good for nothing but workers you, you know, give a black person power, they'll show out. We got to put them down. That's how we're looked at. So imagine taking that same mentality and bringing it to the birth world. Oh, she's saying that her hips hurt. They don't hurt as bad as she say it is. She making it up. Oh, she just wants us to give her some medication. This, that, or the other. Or you're rushed. Or it's not even as blatant as me telling you that you don't feel what you feel, which you, one, you're invalidating my my feelings 
Two, you're just missing the fact that I'm coming to you. And if I'm coming to you, it's a problem because I avoid the doctor altogether. So if I'm coming here, it's a problem. Nobody wants to come to the emergency room unless they're a hypochondriac. Um, then that's a so totally different situation. But nobody's coming here for a pleasure trip. We're coming here because we don't know what's wrong with us. And then for the doctor to say, you're perfectly fine. And then you drop dead. We see it time and time again. Time and time again. I'm not even going to talk about the woman who died. Oh, we're not even going to go there. We're not talking about the you know what. Um, but I'm sure you see how people are just dropping dead now. We're trusting. And I'm not saying not to trust your physician. You shouldn't be seeing your doctor if there's not a level of trust there. But what I'm asking people to do is to vet your doctor. Interview your doctor. If your doctor isn't aligned with what you want, then maybe you need to find another doctor. Like, seriously, like, vet your doctors. Where is their C-section rate? No one thinks to look at that when they choose a physician. Where is their death rate? How many patients have died under their care? Are they? Because if you look at the C-section rate, you will see a lot of doctors are C-section happy because that's where they make their money. An obstetrician is a surgeon. That's what they are. A, a trained surgeon. So they're trained to slice and dice you open. And C-section, let's not be confused, C-section is a wonderful thing for women who medically need it. Some, it, it can be unavoidable, and if that's the case, then by all means, girl, get your C-section and we'll heal you up. But the fact that they're giving out, like people give out lotto tickets in the hood right. or how Usher was giving out them fake Usher bucks at the club, you know, yeah are just being handed out, handed out, handed out. And to be and to be really real, there are women who are doing elective C-sections because they don't want to ruin their vaginas. That is the reason that I just read before you and I got on here. She I'm said, sorry, my like, that's going to be a no for me. It's like, for me, I was always thinking, these people not cutting on me. Y'all better get this baby out of this vagina because uh, y'all not about to be cutting on me. No. I don't even think y'all take y'all job serious enough to cut on me. So it's a no. And no. I will say that I do like Army and Air Force hospitals over everything else, but I still don't want them cutting on me. Uh, mm -hmm. No, y'all better figure it out. Get that baby up out of where it's supposed to come out of. Because I ain't nothing wrong with me. I don't have high blood pressure. I'm good. I'm healthy. I'm athletic. Y'all better get this baby out the right way. And I told my husband before we went in there, Stand up to them people. Don't let them cut on me. Like, unless I'm dying and you see that I am dying, they not cutting nothing out of me. Even if nope. I'm crazy and I say, I want y'all to get this baby out another way. Make sure you hit me on the forehead and tell me that, you know, she don't mean that this baby coming out of the vagina. You know, I was like, no, it's no, <laughs> no. Yes, and, and see, that would be obvious because people keep forgetting that a C-section is major surgery. You're cutting open your abdomen. So for you to elect to do that because you don't want a loose vagina, first of all, the vagina is made to stretch and snap back like a rubber band, honey. Like, like people be talking about how women are loose because they've had too many penises or big penises. Honey, I'm elastic. <laughs> like, like a human comes out of here. Your penis is not going to affect my vagina when a whole baby came out of here and she was, hey, back like you never left. Like, and most women who've given birth have said that they have, they feel better now 
than they did before they had their babies because of the way everything stretched. They came back together so lovely. Um, but, oh my gosh, we even went off on a whole tangent, honey, because I forgot your whole question. <laughs> we didn't talk about it. You know, this has been good. It's a conversation. We talked it's about it. I, asked, I just asked how long you've been doing this and what brought you to okay. me. We talked yeah, about we all that. of that. But we, we also that. talked about the good things too. If you're interested in finding out more about me, the number one military marriage, family, and relationship coach, you can go to www.teresaalexis.com or connect with me on social at Teresa Alexis Speaks on IG, Facebook, and TikTok, and T Alexis Speaks on Clubhouse and Twitter. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe and activate notifications so you don't miss out on any new episodes that go live. I'm excited going forward about how this podcast will impact your life and cultivate a better you and a better marriage and family dynamic. Now go forth and be awesome.